Welcome to the Raising Your Game podcast where I bring to you the stories, insights and ideas from the world of sport to help you improve your well-being and performance, both body and mind. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Lewis Hatchett and in this episode, I'm speaking with two-time Olympian, three-time Olympic medalist and eight-time world champion, Katie Hoff. This is an episode that is so interesting. Her story is incredible and it was really great to delve into some of the, her side of it on a, such a vulnerable level. She opens up about the relentless nature of trying to compete at such a, a high level and the gear that she shifted into to push herself to that that level, the pressure that was put on herself, the expectations that were there, but also we delve into the vulnerability and the blend of being vulnerable and relentless at the same time, the self-talk that's needed. But Katie's story is one that is is incredible and there was so much that I wanted to ask her and managed to get to ask her in this episode and you will definitely find something that whether you get something out of it or you will definitely know someone who is feeling similar ways to how Katie felt or how the stories and the the conversations that we have in this one may relate to you and and your life and it it was so so cool so this is one not to miss and I cannot wait to give it to you so I'm not going to waste any more time and give you Katie Hoff enjoy Katie Hoff, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for for tuning in. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited from all the way across the world. <laughs> yeah, we were, I mean, we were just talking about me waking up and if when this podcast comes out, I'm sure hopefully it would have calmed down. But the the people that are just seeing a lot of people storming Capitol Hill in America, it's a turbulent time. It's, it's mad. And um, what are you, what have you taken of this whole experience that's probably been going on not not the whole I guess election process but just the last two months as, as well how's it affected your world or what are your thoughts on it yeah it's just it's just sad it's just um you know you, you there's just so much hate you know and I think that's um I just feel like, you know, people have different opinions that that's fine. And I don't think it's ever come to a head like this, right? There's always been different opinions in the world and and there's always been conflict to some extent, but to have it come out so violently uh, right now is is just really sad. And, and I, I said this actually just recently on my Instagram, just like, it's, I'm not proud to be American in, in this moment. And I'm always proud to be an American. And so just seeing how some people are reacting. Obviously there's so much good in the world. There's so many people that are fighting for the right thing. It's just sad to see that this small group is permeating it with so much hate. Yeah, I've had, I don't know what it's like in America, but I mean the pandemic, for example, I mean all of this going on politically and then you throw a pandemic on, it's ridiculous. (laughs) A lot of of the stuff I've seen with my family, my friends, uh, loved ones back home, they've the UK has really struggled with a pandemic and there's been a a real shift in their mental health state um with the pandemic and pretty similar results and and situation numbers coming out of America with the election have you seen the shift in like mental health of and we were talking just before about your your mentoring we'll get on to mentoring but have you seen a shift in the people you know the 
the athletes you work with on their mental health of how this situation is affecting them? For sure. I mean, I don't think we'd be human if we weren't affected in some way. And, you know, it's just, a. I think it's a roller coaster, right? Like sometimes you have good days, sometimes you have bad days. I've noticed the same in loved ones or in people I work with. Um, just because there's, there's so much unknown. I think that's what, at least for me, that's the hardest part of not knowing what the future is going to bring, not knowing what this thing is going to be done, not knowing, you know, the health of loved ones, um, that'll drive you crazy. And so I think it's just finding your, your circle of people that you can trust, who love you, who are going to be there and, and fighting through that way and, and trying to spread as much kindness and support and love um, to, to even strangers if you can. The tough thing is not having a goal, I think, or not knowing if your goal is reachable. So I think of a lot of athletes that potentially have had seasons cut short. They've either had them cancelled. They've had the competitions, events taken away. And then you don't know why you're training or what to go for. And you're kind of in this limbo. And yeah, it's a weird, it must be a weird situation because like I was talking about to you just before we started, I listened to your your TED talk and how you you discussed that having that goal you're driven but it must be yeah. such a weird thing not kind of training going through your routine feeling like your routine doesn't really have a purpose um, yeah and that must be a real tough place to be yeah I see I, I can't imagine I mean it's crazy like if I hadn't you know we'll talk about this but if I hadn't had blood clots I probably would be in the same position of many athletes right now where I'd be you know, extending in a whole nother year for an Olympic year. And, you know, so many of the athletes and teams that I work with are like, yeah, we don't even know when our next meet is. And so it's even as a, as a mentor, as a former, you know, athlete, it's so difficult to hear. It's heartbreaking because I know how I would feel in that situation. I know that I always struggled with wanting to feel like I had just total control over what I was doing and to just, you know, do absolutely nothing wrong. Like no one did anything wrong. This pandemic just happened and to have to react to it. Um, you know, I've just tried to really be there and, and be understanding and empathetic and, and try to help them, you know, create little goals of things they can control, right. Whether it be, you know, strength on land, whether it be visualization, whether it be mindset, like there's things you can do. There's little goals you can set um, to try to really focus in on that and not focus in on the things you can't control. But yeah, like it's it's really tough right now. Yeah, it has I, been. I, I I did speak to this as some of the the athletes I work with about it actually being a a moment for opportunity. Like you do have you do have time. Like now, and it's something you may never get again. You if hopefully fingers crossed that the vaccines rolled out and and the we can get back to some life in of normality. But you'll never get that moment of rest. And I actually remember back in my professional career, like I just remember begging for like a, a six month break just a six yeah. month where I could kind of reset my, my body my injuries my niggles could all just settle away and whether that be a, a physical reset it could it mainly is going to be a mental reset but we don't get this opportunity right now and I think there is that opportunity for growing into some sort of new type of person you could be or new skill set that you can add in when the doors open again when when the gates are open again and you can get back in there's def there's definitely things that that you can do even you touched on there about visualization just really strengthening out your mental preparation your mental routine like okay if i'm going to come back to this competition this game this match whatever 
this is how I want to be, this is how I want to play, this is how I want to race, whatever it is. A hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's been, I mean, what I did for myself um, in terms of you know, starting new businesses or finishing my book, or there's so many silver linings that I really had to fight to find in 2020. But that's really what I tried to help, you know, our teams, our athletes that we work with is just identifying those. And, you know, sometimes it, it does take leaning on loved ones. It takes leaning on, you know, different mentors of yours because it's hard. And so I think once you find it though, it's, it's kind of liberating where you're like, okay, okay, pivot. We found a new focus. Here's what we can do. And I found actually a lot of people where, you know, they're growing their strength. They got back in the pool and they felt that much better. They had that, that much more confidence. So it's been, you know, really cool to see some growth of, of a lot of people, including myself, mm. during a time when you felt like, you know, for the first month, I don't know about you, but I was flailing like, okay, this is scary. This is really hard. What do we do next? What's going on? Um, and then kind of finding your footing and, you know, redirecting what's next. What do you what do you think you learned most about yourself coming out of 2020? I, I did a podcast on sort of like reviewing the last year and setting yourself up for 2021. But um, what do you think you learned about yourself out of the whole challenge that was last year? It's a great question. I think I learned I'm more of an entrepreneur than I thought. Yeah. I always had this preconceived notion of, you know, I'm relentless. I fight like I have all these qualities from swimming that definitely transfer into be more entrepreneurial, but I never, I was like, well, I don't know. I, I can't do that. That's too scary. And so, you know, my husband and I started a business, uh, you know, really kind of ventured out in that way. And I actually think I can handle it and be good at it and be okay with being vulnerable and scared a lot of the time, which I think is what an entrepreneur does. Um, so that's probably the surprising thing that came out of 2020 that, I always is just so like, no way, not me. It's, it, I don't think I can do it. Um, obviously I've had support, but that was kind of a cool find for me to see that I did, you know, have some of those entrepreneurial DNA genes down there somewhere. And I had to pull them out in 2020. <laughs> I think athletes have that more than they think they, they do because you have this routine, this structure, but you also have this drive, this goal driven mm -hmm. and and you whatever it is that if you're a, a swimmer a runner a, a any any sort of athlete you kind of probably go into the, your sport with the idea that you're going to change something in some way you're going to make an impact which is yeah. ultimately what entrepreneurs do like i you kind of that's your goal really is to have an impact you're not running a small business you're actually trying to change something you're trying to change the way people do something and that is a that is something that athletes have intuitively, I think. You you trying to change the world you're going into, whether it's getting gold medals, getting world records, whatever, you are making an impact. And yeah, I I I I've recognized that I think in myself as well. And and also you the idea of what an entrepreneur probably has to look like. You think that they have to be like this go-getter, like I'm bulletproof, when actually it's just terrifying all the time. It's just <laughs> It is. It is just get your sword and shield out at all moments, and just be be just be ready for battle at any day. But also, it gives that element of not every day is the same. There's not every day is different, and there's so much creativity that can happen. There's so much space for learning new things and developing, and that's the exciting thing. Is I I don't think I could give myself put myself in a place where 
I was doing the same thing every day. It just would, that's whether coming from sport, it just brings that, you just get a new feel of something new every day. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I did do that. I went into corporate America and that's why I'm not in corporate America. (laughs) Um, But, you know, obviously learned a lot, but I think, you know, I think it's this, this half and half, right? Like swimming or any athlete, like so much of it is structured where you have a coach and here's what you do. And they tell you what you're going to do and you follow that. And like, so that's the side where I'm like, okay, well, that's how I thrive. So I can't be an entrepreneur because no one's telling you what to do. You're on your own. You're figuring it out on the fly. Um, but then there is, like you said, that other side of it where you're relentless, you, you fail, you're going to get back up again. Like all those things that, you know, being an elite athlete or even any athlete teaches you that is very entrepreneurial driven. So there's this like tug of war, I think in my head that, you know, I kind of had to just be like forced off the ledge a little bit to be like, okay, I can embrace this. I can do this. And, um, so that's been kind of cool to explore that space, um, which I don't think I would have done if the pandemic hadn't happened. Yeah, it, it has given that opportunity. Let's delve into let's delve into Katie Hoff, where it all started, and let's go. In, so <laughs> at, at Olympics at fifteen, like it, which is just thinking of that, thinking of what where I was at fifteen, like what it <laughs> actually. I was probably watching the Olympics, that's for sure. But I I would I I reckon that was where my journey almost started as a fifteen year old, like really trying to get into professional sport and. Where for you, what sort of child were you growing up to get yourself to to that point? Um, yeah, where did it all begin for you and start wherever you want to start? Yeah, I was a very obsessive, neurotic child, <laughs> <laughs> I think is the best way to describe it. I was very, very competitive. Uh, you know, I always tell this story where at 11, we took this family vacation and I was on the same team as my grandma playing this, you know, friendly badminton game in the front lawn. And I yelled at her and we had to stop the game. Like that's how. Oh, <laughs> so no. Um, so I just was always very competitive. And then, you know, I, I think competitive, but I wasn't aware in terms of just that extra gear and that extra obsession, I would say until 10. So from five to 10 to going further back, I just cared about winning pink and purple ribbons, which is seventh and eighth place. I just was enjoying, you know, being girly and having fun. And then this, you know, switch went off in my head of like, wait, I don't, I don't like that people are beating me. Um, That's when the grandma situation happened. (laughs) Um, I started getting very obsessed with the results, very obsessed with the process, um, you know, down to, being so upset that my dad was going to take the wrong exit that I would be potentially a minute late to practice where I'd like threatened to rip the steering wheel out of his hands. Like I was crazy. Um, so wow. I, I think it did, and it was very self-driven. It didn't come from any, a coach. It didn't come from my parents. It was just, I was just very much, I got a taste of what it was like to win. And I knew I was winning because of what I was doing in practice and it just kind of fueled it. What was so th- this is really kind of a rabbit hole that I want to go down because this was one of the questions I grabbed and a story that you told from your TED talk where you were you were doing a set and then you went and did another set and you you came out of it saying I found this other gear I found this next yeah. gear this and, yeah. and the whole the whole TED talk is around finding your relentless spirit but that for me was really interesting and funny enough something that came up yesterday in a conversation with the kids that I'm coaching is that 
we've got kids who kind of say they want to achieve this goal. They want to achieve this status or this this end product they want to be. It could be playing for their country. It could be playing for their state, whatever it is. But then their actions and then their everyday demeanor doesn't really show that they have that extra gear. They haven't either unlocked it or they haven't understood it or they just think they want to want it and they just don't really at the end of the day. What what do you think, What how do you believe you found that extra gear? Like you say, you kind of touched on it being within but what was the drive ultimately for you to win what was how were you feeling when you were winning in order to to build that extra gear to find that extra gear yeah that's a great question because that comes up a lot with people i talk to or mentor as well and i think first and foremost people say right like you say out loud this is my goal then you have to give that goal the respect it deserves, right? Like you can't say, I'm going to make an Olympic team and then decide to maybe skip practice or not give 100% effort. Like I almost sort of say like, that's just rude to the goal. Like the yeah. goal is an Olympic team or making a state championship or whatever it may be. Here are all the things that go into it. And so for me, that moment that you're talking about, I think it was the feeling it gave me. And, you know, I remember being in workouts, a super hard set, we're doing sprints up and down, dying. And I just had this moment where I was like, well, maybe like I could kick a little high. I think the coach said something about like, you guys should be, you know, emptying the tank. And I remember thinking like, am I emptying the tank? Like, how do I empty the tank? And it was like this moment where I was like learning that I could really extend my legs. I could kick harder. I could, you know, pull faster, increase my tempo. And I started seeing the results. Like I started pulling ahead. I started dropping seconds at a time. And the feeling that gave me was unparalleled. I'll just, I'll never forget it. I was like, oh my gosh. Like I ran home, told my dad, like I found this deep down gear, which is what I called it. And it was, I think at that point, something went off my head was like, oh, so if I put myself in this super uncomfortable situation, it sucks, it's painful, I'm panting, but look what it did, even on a small scale. Like I started beating kids in my group and that feeling became instantly addicting. Like I wanted more, I wanted to get to, you know, I kept chasing that feeling throughout the next couple of years, whether it was in practice. And actually, I feel like I'm fortunate that it happened in practice because it wasn't just something that happened in a meet. It was the practice, which I'm doing day in, day out, that I just kept wanting to get better and pushing it to that super uncomfortable, sucky, painful feeling that you have to push to to get to that next level. Yeah, I think you're right when you see the, the result as well. When you see that that impact that it has once you find it, for me, that's the that's the key to it all because there's you're not going to you're not going to be willing to go there if you push and it doesn't create a result naturally but also there's an expectation of of just the little goal that you can achieve out of that little push that little bit of that little bit of um hard work it's amazing to see like i've started to see it from the other side now of coaching young lads and they're they're changing on their, their motivation of the just the game they're playing the sport they're in from these small little wins these little impacts that they they didn't have last year or six months before just from putting in a little bit of effort and then that could be the kickstart for them their their journey that that builds up that next gear and go right okay well 
this amount of work is going to get me so far. I need to push it a little bit more to get this result. Um, did you find you had to keep going through gears? Did you find you had to, you had to, once you found one gear, that was enough and that was the drive that you were going to get? Or as you want to get faster, you want to get higher, you want to get into the Olympic team, you had to just keep pushing or was it this deep down spirit? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it was more like you, like you touched on the little wins and the little goals. Like, for example, I had said, okay, like I want to, you know, instantly make a state cut. Like at the time I wasn't, I really didn't get, and I broke state record at 10, but at the time I was, I think I was like nine. So it was a full year had to go by before I broke the state record. And if I had said in that moment, like, all right, I'm going to push it for a week and, you know, go deep down, get, to, you know, put myself in an uncomfortable position. And at the next meet, I want a state record. Okay. So that would be extremely discouraging. I could see a lot of kids setting that goal, not doing it and going, well, it's not worth it. Why would I push myself to that yeah. level? For me, again, fortunately, I was like, I just want to go better times that I've gone the week before in practice. I was aware of those times. I was always aware of like the times I was going that just kind of what fueled me like down to like a 25 breaststroke, like very weird goals, but they fueled me because they were little, small, tangible accomplishments each day that kept fueling me. And I think that's where some people kind of make the wrong turn where they just look at this massive goal of making an Olympic team or, or in business, you know, getting to the, the, the peak of the company that is so intimidating and discouraging. Like it has to be broken down into much smaller tangible things. So you feel like you won. And I think as I continue to progress and get better, I just kept changing the target. Like it was like, okay, this thing, okay, this thing, I just, had to keep, you know, redefining it. Um, especially as I moved through the ranks, I got better. Um, and I had to kind of relearn that when I retired from the sport because wins looked very differently from in swimming to outside the sport. Yeah. I think relentless is the, the best is the right word for this because then what was it like? So if you found that next gear, if you've really pushed yourself at training session and you failed, where was your mind at there? So definitely the first is, you know, upset, right? Yeah. <laughs> upset. I think if, if, you, if you don't feel some level of disappointment from missing a goal, then the goal probably didn't matter enough. So I, that's something I really stress. Like, it's okay to be upset. Mm. It's okay to kind of embrace the fact that that was really rough, um, but address it, embrace it, and then, you know, figure out how to move on. And again, I think it's understanding okay, today didn't go as, as planned. This meet didn't go as planned. This year didn't go as planned, but you know, is, is that ultimate goal still worth it? So that's kind of where I think, you know, you work on these little goals, but you still have to, in the back of your mind, keep that ultimate top of the mountain near and dear to your heart and and understand here's the reason why I'm doing this. And does this matter enough for me to continue pushing and pushing myself to reach these little goals that are ultimately, in my mind, going to get me to the top of the mountain. And if the answer is no, then you've got to shift mountains or you've got to shift your goals because life's too short. It's not worth pursuing something and putting yourself in that position um, to probably fail. If, if, you're, if your goal doesn't mean everything to you, it, you're not even physically and mentally going to be able to go there because 
it's too hard if it mm. doesn't mean it. Yes. As you moved up and you got older and just sort of, I guess, around pre-Olympics, your first Olympics at 15, you'd have 100% and, and it's written about you how much of a favorite you were a lot of the time when you would go into the pool. When you were going into the pool, did you ever feel that sense or whether it was in training, whether it was in competition and you spoke about being really scared in the Olympics or you felt you were frightened, you were young, natural, like that's totally understandable. Did you feel scared in other moments? Did you feel scared when you were going into training when, when you're looking to push that, that, um, that gear a little bit, push it harder? Did you, did you have that fear of oh, what happens if this doesn't work? Totally. I mean, I think that's another thing like training for me, I view that every single day as me. Like I had goal times, I have specific goals. So yeah, there were a ton of times where I'd come into training. And I think this is another story I tell in the TED talk where I put so much pressure one day on myself on a Saturday morning that I missed pace. And I came back for four hours later and did the set over again, because I was like, no, like I am not accepting this. Um, and so all the time, I mean, and, and I did have days that didn't go well, or I missed the mark. And, and those days were really challenging, but again, it was okay. Be upset, figure out why. But again, like I still am chasing this feeling of being one of the best in the world, feeling extraordinary for making that impact. So it's worth it to pick myself back up again and try again tomorrow or later that day yeah. <laughs> on that particular Saturday. <laughs> so, so after after your first Olympics at such a young age, um, you came seventh. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but wow. seventh seventh in the world, fifteen years old. That's a hell of a place to be. But you spoke about being disappointed, disappointed, and and, and something was missing. What did you learn from that 2004 Olympics that was going to propel you into the next few years because then you broke the world record and then 2008 at the Olympics. What was it? What was that sort of learning experience for you there? Yeah, I learned a lot that year. Uh, I would say one, I, I think I was really disappointed. The 400 I am started off, I think as hard as it could ever. So, I mean, I got super sick on the pool deck. I had this embarrassment of just not feeling like I represented my country in the way that I wanted to in the way that I felt others wanted me to. And then I kind of rebounded to, to make it to the final the 200 I am. But yeah, I still left those Olympics feeling like I had failed because I didn't want a medal for my, for myself, for my coach, for my parents, for my country. And I think it, it taught me that I still loved the sport and still wanted to be there. Like I thought, okay, if I can get knocked down on my butt in front of millions of people, and still say, no, like I'm still going, I'm still going to fight. I don't know how I did it. Like I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, like that was traumatic. But I took a week and immediately my coach and I were like, all right, we need to focus on the process. We need to focus on the sets that are going to give you the most confidence in the world. Cause right now you're swimming with fear. You're swimming scared. You don't have confidence because you're not thinking about the right things. You're not thinking about the little goals you completed day in and day out leading up to that meet. And so that's what we did uh, after that meet. And I immediately caught on to it and had a great world championships the year after. Yeah. So then there's a level of expectation. And I want to, if you allow me to talk about this subject of expectation, you were yes. named as female Phelps at one point, which is a, an in, 
like obviously people know Michael Phelps. Um, you even spoke about in the in the TED talk again that yep. you you had less events than he than he did, which is fair enough as well. When yeah. you've got that level of expectation, what is how are you managing that? Because I I reckon even from a lower level, of my, let's talk about an amateur athlete. They're just doing it. There is a level of expectation they're either putting on themselves. It could be a parent putting expectation on them. You had the height of that. You had yourself, your family, your friends, your media, the everyone, your nation is putting a lot of a lot of expectation on you. How are you managing that? What are you telling yourself with all that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I think it kept building, like it kept snowballing. So when I was swimming really well, I definitely didn't discourage that title. It, it was an honor, right? You know, Michael Phelps at that point, he'd already won you know, six gold medals in Athens, and he was primed to win eight gold medals. So that first and foremost was felt like not the problem, but it was scary, right? Like this guy's going for eight gold medals. I'm getting called the female Phelps. I didn't even have one gold medal at that point. Mm -hmm. And I certainly wasn't, I wanted a few, but I certainly wasn't going for eight gold medals. I just wasn't realistic. And so I think when the expectations were really difficult was when I fell short of that. It, it didn't feel like, I think I was very much feeling very confident at the trials. I won five events. Like I, I had some momentum, uh, but I think that I'd say the period crunch between Olympic trials and the Olympics, which is only about six weeks. That's when things, I mean, you can read it in my book. Like, I'm like, oh, okay. Oh my gosh. Like, I feel like each week, like if I have a barbell on my back, you know, someone's adding five pounds each time. So it felt like I could barely keep it up. And I just remember thinking, but like, what if I don't have that? Like, what if I, what if I do my best and I, I, I'm not like, I can't control what my competition's doing, you know, I have really intense competition. And so I think that played a lot into it. And then after, you know, day one at the Olympics in Beijing, when I went right off my world record time that I did at the trials and got bronze and the reaction was just so negative. I think that was really difficult to, to stomach and, and kind of keep pushing forward after that. Had you developed any sort of self-talk techniques or um, were you using any sort of mental training to, to kind of keep yourself level? Because that's, that's a big hit to take as, a, as someone that's a an emotional, phys- you've got the physical hit of actually doing the event. You, I have no idea what being at the Olympics is like, but speaking to fellow uh, other Olympians, like they, they have described it as just this event that you, it, it, it's, you're in awe of it at the same. Yeah, yeah, but and you're you're going from place to place, and there's oh my god, there's Usain Bolt over there. There's 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 Michael Phelps. There's people everywhere that are just these athletes in different disciplines, and it's just like a TV show. Um, but what is your, did you have a self-talk method? And, and I'd recently listened to a, a podcast with Jim Law. Um, it was a Tim Ferriss podcast. It was fantastic. And he spoke about being your best coach, you, you being your best coach, because your self-talk is is the thing that, and, and can you be proud enough with your self-talk that you'd be willing to have it announced to a stadium full of people? Oh, uh, I love that. Which is a great thing. Like, it's so, so cool. It's so, it was really changed my way of looking at it now is that are you proud enough of yourself talk to have it announced in front of a stadium of 80,000 plus people and what was your self-talk in those moments um 
did you have something to hold on to? Was it mantras? Was it what anything like or nothing or nothing? It was more like nothing. I'm sad to say, I think um, that's part of why I'm so passionate about working with athletes right now to help them develop those things. I think, um, yeah, it it actually, and I, and I, that's why I waited so long to write my book because I do talk about what I was saying to myself over the course of those eight days in Beijing. And it was a lot of, it was a lot of back and forth. Like at some times it was like, all right, cool. I'm ready to go. I got this at other times. It was like, Oh my God, do I have this? And so I think, uh, yeah, I probably could have benefited from some better self-talk for some self-talk that would be said to a stadium. I love that. I'm totally Mm. using that. And I think that's something that I look back and like, okay, that would have been great to have had, you know, a mentor to be like, Hey, Katie, like you've got to shake yourself out of this. But uh, it, it was just kind of felt like a, a, a vortex, a swirling vortex that just so much was happening. And I was just trying to kind of do the best I could in the moment. Just going to take a quick break to mention that this episode is sponsored by Sport Yogi, an app for ambitious sports people that are keen to improve their performance by creating the link between their mental and physical well-being. You'll be able to join along to sessions in your own time using techniques from yoga, mobility training, breath control, mindfulness, and meditation, all without the woo-woo side of it, leaving you breathing, thinking, and moving better than before. To sign up to your free account, head over to sportyogi.com. You can also find it on iOS and Android. So head over to the App Store or the Google Play Store where you just type in Sport Yogi and you can download the app today so sign up for your free account either at sportyogi.com or at the apple store or google play store anyway let's get back to today's episode we would you did you have anyone training the mental side of what you were doing back then um because i think there was one thing i wrote down which sort of after everything i'd listened about you which i think is uh, amazing and you've spoken about sort of uh, or it was written about being the underachieving overdog which is a really powerful statement as well but then from that i just straight away put empowering others from these lessons and that was the yeah. f- first thing i i recognized and i think the vulnerability it takes for someone like you to to have gone through the experiences that you had um it shows that you can teach others what you've learned and you can uh, and uh, from the the mistakes or the the wins the losses and was there someone there helping you on the mental side at the time not really <laughs> yeah but it, it kind of takes that lesson i think that's i think that's kind of where i'm going with it it takes that experience of not having someone there and, and sadly you have to be that person to eventually do what you're doing now which is empowering other athletes to be that that extra soundboard they didn't have that that they can learn from what what you didn't have completely yeah i think i mean there's always you know different coaches or mentors that were around i think i just i don't think i was ready one saying it out loud is really scary right saying i I didn't i didn't feel like it was even okay to say that like i had to stay super tough and i wasn't that nervous and these things weren't going through my head which is in all actuality the opposite right you know you 
you do reach out, you need help, like athletes at any level need that support. And so I think that's the biggest thing I learned of is make it normal and okay not to be okay. I know that that phrase is used a lot as of late, but that is my ultimate goal when I talk with athletes of getting them to one, trust me enough to feel comfortable, right? Like it's a very personal thing to open up about that and to say, hey, I need help. Hey, this is how I'm feeling. And so that has been very rewarding to be able to, we don't speak a ton about like, hey, this is what happened to me, but, but, but I can very much understand, empathize and, you know, provide that reasoning voice in moments when someone's feeling a certain way, not feeling confident, feeling extra nervous because of X, Y, Z. And it is something that I wish I had, again, I don't know if it would have changed the results, but maybe would have changed how I felt about those eight days or how I felt about my swimming career in general along the way, because I certainly didn't take enough time or perspective during those eight days to have any amount of enjoyment during those games. I was just stressed out of my mind. So yeah. What what was it like? um, What was it like post games? What was it for you there? I think um, I've heard you talk about it, but what was it? What was it like after the the 2000 and 2008 Olympics? Yeah. Yeah, it was a mixed emotion because, you know, I had still done well. I had won three medals, so I was still, you know, doing different things. I had wonderful sponsors, so I was traveling and, and having fun that way. But I still had this sinking feeling of, like, I wish I had done, you know, I wish I won gold. I wish I had done this. And so there was this tug of war, I think. And then, you know... I'll never forget I got in, I had a car pick me up for a certain appearance and the guy recognized my name and he asked me, of course, the first question is either, did you win a medal? Yep, I did. Great. And then did you win gold is the next question always. And I was like, no, but I want to still, you know, and he was like, oh, bummer, you know, and and that was repeated multiple times. And so I think that piece was always that sinking feeling of, oh, like, I wish I had the perspective to be able to like, yeah, I did win these three medals and they were great swims and I did the best I could. And I had a great time representing Team USA. And that's what I can say now looking back 12 years later, but it took me a really, really long time to get there. It's really interesting in it. Like all of that, it's so easy for to drown out the good with with a little bit of what is probably perceived bad like that's the idea like you that guy is perceiving what you've done as not achieving it or but at the end of the day it's like that's just crazy it's crazy it is crazy it's three medals at the olympics that anyone would bite your arm off for like you should be you you would i don't know whether this is true for you but i imagine the younger version of you if you were to give that if you were to say here's the career that you're going to have right now this is where you're going to go. This is what you're going to do. You take it. Like you're having that. Like I'll give me some of that. That's what I'm. I, I want. Uh, uh, do you not think? Uh, for sure. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, I, and I, I've always said this. There could be ninety really or ninety-five really awesome, amazing, positive comments from people, right? And then those five are all you. The negative five negative are all you think about, and that's just I think sometimes how our brain works. And so, yes, there, I mean, there was so much amazing support, so much great coverage and, and um, you know, comments from the media. But again, I think that piece of me just heard 
the part that was saying it was a failure or, or, or this and that. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. I think, especially now looking back, I think the hard part as a younger athlete is you say Olympian, you say gold medal and you have no idea. Like ignorance is bliss. You have no idea what goes into all of that. Uh, so I think now being able to look back and see, you know, I've had so many moments where they announce like winter Olympics or they announce someone behind the blocks and they're like silver medalist or multi-Olympic medalist. I'm like, wow, that person's, that person's awesome. You know, not, not like separating myself from it. And I'm like, Oh, like I have that too. (laughs) It's like this weird separation where like when I'm looking at someone else, I'm saying that, but because I'm so critical of myself, I'm almost forgetting that I did that too. And so I think that's just, again, a learning experience of you look at someone else look at yourself the same way as you would look at someone else. Yeah, for sure. That, that's a really, again, it kind of goes back to that being your best coach. Are you talking yeah. Are you talking to yourself in the in the way that you're proud of or you'd feel you would talk to someone else? Like is your yeah. self-talk the same way you would coach someone else? Like it's such a, such a fascinating little topic um, and little part of your journey for, for sure. After after the Olympics, you sadly had to retire with with blood clots. Um, is there? How was that emotional roller coaster? I had to retire from my professional career through injury, so I kind of feel for where you're coming from. Um, for me, i I was always I was always left with, and I still feel this element of what if. Um, mm-hmm. I always have this kind of, and I've I've. I've said to myself, people have told me, oh, you'll get over it in a couple of years, especially when I retired and like you'll, it'll go past. But I'm kind of like, no, I'm happy to sit there and live with it for the rest of my life and have it this, this little this little thought that comes in. I don't want to punch it away. And this is through my mindfulness and meditation practice that it actually I'm able to be aware of it and just accept that, yeah, okay, this what if is something that is yeah. um, it, that is there. Did you go through something similar? Did you... Do you feel that? What was your emotion after having to retire through for an injury? Yeah, very similar. I love that you brought that up because I have had, and I think people say that again, if, if they haven't been in the position or they haven't gone through something like that, it's like, you know, you'll get over it. And it's like, no, I don't think I ever will. But again, that's okay, right? Mm. Like if you care about something enough and you invest two decades of your time, if it gets cut short and it's not your decision, I don't know how you could ever be fully just okay with it, but that doesn't mean you don't move on and continue Mm -hmm. to set goals and be successful. Like you can do both, you know? And I think that's always when I first thought about that, I'm like, can I do both? Like, what if I'm, if I'm not over this, does that mean I'm suddenly going to be stunted in my growth and success in the afterlife, but Mm. I'm not. Uh, but yeah, it it was tough because I feel like for the first time, you know, in 2004, I was a baby. I was, you know, still figuring it out, handling everything, international competition, 2008, I was a veteran. I was swimming every single day. I didn't enjoy the process. And 2012, I actually got sick at the trials and then I was, came in to come back to go for 2016. And then this, my only major injury of my entire career happens to be blood clots in my lungs. And I was actually really enjoying swimming again. I was enjoying the process. I felt like I was very in control of what I was doing. I had an awesome partnership with my coach. Everything was just like falling into place and I was swimming really fast and uh, that, you know, I got the the curveball. And so I felt like, wow, this could have been, you know, the what if was 
this could have been an Olympics where I actually enjoyed being there. I actually mm. could look around. I, you know, I wasn't going to swim six events. I was, you know, going to maybe swim one event in a relay or, or maybe fortunate enough to just even be on a relay, which is great and be able to enjoy it. And so to not end my career like that, it's always going to haunt me just a little bit. But again, it's, it, it was the reason I was able to have a different perspective and empower others. And you've always got to look at the silver lining. So that's kind of where I choose to look. <laughs> yeah, I, I could literally commend everyone that, that kind of goes through anything similar like that. I, I just think don't, if you've got something in your life that is a what if moment, don't hide, run from it, hide from it. It is a, it's, it's a part of, of who you are. And then it's, then it really, I guess, goes back to having the, I always look at sort of like the, the, the gratitude that I can have towards what I did and what I achieved and, and the moments and that being a chapter and, and that, that was a great chapter to have, but actually excited from then what I learned from all of that, the, the, the knowledge, the skills, the, the experiences and how you can move it into whatever chapter it is next. It could be corporate, it could be entrepreneurial, it could be going coaching, whatever it is. It, it, it's something that you can use to your advantage rather than dwelling on it, being super negative about it, and and it, you know, like you said, haunting you. It's okay to have that little sort of that that ghost over your shoulder, but embrace it. It's, yeah, it's a cool, it's a totally. cool thing to have. Yeah. yeah. So blueprint the book that you've how, how long how long does it take to write something like that how long is something like that been in the pipeline well so i've always felt like i wanted to needed to and i just never i was never ready to really have the courage to be authentic enough to write something that i knew needed to be written in the way it needs to be written. So I knew I needed to be vulnerable. I knew I needed to embrace some of those ghosts. I knew I needed to really um, kind of come to terms with some things that happened in my career, different relationships. And so I always started and I would have a breakdown or I would just be like, I can't do this. And so it finally just kind of dawned on me where I just felt like, you know, the TED talk was actually kind of a pivotal moment where it launched me into one. It was the first time I'd been fairly honest about how I felt about certain things in my career and it was received so well. And I remember everyone gave me the standing ovation and I was like, oh, like, okay, wow. Like my story can actually excite people and inspire people. And that's crazy. I never would have thought that. And the rush I got like standing behind in the stage and having my call time felt like I had my call time in the ready room for swim performance. You know, it was like very parallel and I never would have imagined that. And so at that point I was like, okay, kind of eased me into it. I started doing more speaking less to just, you know, swim teams more to groups of people that weren't even in the swim community and they, it was still resonating with them. And I was like, okay, wow. Like that's kind of cool. And so it probably took another eight months or so where I was like, okay, like I really, if I really want to share my story and impact people and find that extraordinary feeling by impacting people, I need to write a book. And it all kind of fell into line starting. I mean, it's only been 13 months since I started the whole, like sitting down with the ghostwriter, talking wow. every day, um, writing it out. Obviously the pandemic helped. I had a lot of extra time on <laughs> my hands, but it was pretty quick after that. Once I was, I mean, it took five years to get to the point where I felt healed enough and ready to embrace my story. But once I did, it was like, 
word vomit for like a year. Um, and I was just fortunate enough to find a ghostwriter who did an awesome job of being my coach. Like that's what I viewed the ghostwriter as he pulled it out of me on days that I didn't want to go there or go deep enough and kind of coached me through and then really did an awesome job of making it sound like me. And, you know, there were definitely times where it got tense and I was like, no, like, I don't want to go there. Or I write stuff. And he was like, you didn't go deep enough. And, you know, it, it was extremely helpful and cathartic the entire way. Did you find that you were really protective of your stories of your like these vulnerabilities that you actually eventually get out? Were you really protective of them? And do you think it's something to do with your ego that was perhaps like protecting yourself from it for sure yeah I mean I think there was just a lot you know after 2008 happened I kind of just suppressed all of it and it was just again like athletes are trained like keep going keep moving like you got to be tough go 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 and I never really took the time to reflect to heal to move forward um, you know, there were just multiple things, whether it was a relationship with a coach or, you know, the way that I felt about 2008, uh, there were just so many things that I just kind of shoved down. And so it was just very emotional and scary to turn around and be like, all right, I'm going to face these. And not only am I going to face them, but I'm going to tell my story knowing that tons of people are going to read this now. And I actually even had a kind of a moment of like, oh my God, uh, before the release date on Black Friday, which was November 27th of, okay, I'm so proud of this book. It's awesome. I love it. And then, oh, wow, that means everyone's going to read it now. And having this moment of vulnerability of like, well, what if people don't like it, you know? And it's been, I mean, the feedback has been humbling and really, really cool. Just how it's helped people through tough times and and just um, just messages from from people that's really meant so much yeah that's awesome do you do you think that relentlessness and vulnerability can go together a hundred percent yeah I think that's a very big misconception in anything but I think specifically in the sporting world where you have to be tough and you have to get up every day and you have to do all these things it's like yeah you do have to be tough but you're, you have to be vulnerable. Like you, you just have to be open to messing up and feedback. And, you know, to me, that's how you also build the strongest relationships, which in turn, like you can't be relentless unless you have relationships with mentors, coaches, teammates, like you, you can't go through it on your own. So if you build a wall, which I've done and you, and you're not open and you're not truly authentic and vulnerable, you then can't be relentless. <laughs> so the two kind of parallel yeah. each other. Yeah, I think you can definitely switch between the two. I've I've played with other players and, and athletes that have that relentlessness is borderlined on stubbornness. And then that has shut them off from you're trying to give them something that is to better them, to develop them. And then them seeing it as I'm relentlessly going to go about my my work in the way that I'm I can. And vulnerability mm. is just going like well actually let's listen to what you're saying how can i get better how can i be better it's, and it i think it just some people feel like by being vulnerable you're going to get shot down it's going to belittle you it's going to make you smaller but it it doesn't it, it it just it shows that you're willing to see parts of you that you maybe weren't looking at before 
A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't getting through a brick wall, just banging your head against a brick wall is not going to work. Like you need to find different tools and chisels and like ways to get through a different way. Um, and I think, you know, that I have been burned sometimes, right? Like the, the one scary, scary thing about being vulnerable is sometimes people take advantage. Sometimes people um, see that as weakness. Um, but then, you know, again, those aren't people that you would want in your circle anyways. And I would much rather be vulnerable and, you know, win 98% of the time and then have 2% of the time where, you know, you get burned. I just think it's, it's part of it. And it's well worth being that open um because there's so many amazing things that come from it yeah wow i mean yeah the time i don't want to take up too much more of your time i think the last thing i want to ask you is what is what is what are you looking forward to most um this year for 2021 once for sure we get over whatever's happened today in america and the next couple of weeks and, and and the first month of this pandemic that's for sure that's left in this year yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm like, okay, are we already wishing for 2022 or? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to a couple of things. I think, you know, now that I have my book out, I'm really looking forward to really expanding my reach, uh, my speaking so I can continue to impact all people across the world, across the nation. Uh, really looking forward to expanding my company with my husband, which is Synergy Dryland, which is my entrepreneurial um, venture in 2020. We've you know, really started working with a lot more teams and athletes and really have helped them control what they can control, right? And especially in the pandemic, but even onward. And then uh, being being around family, you know, my husband and I moved from New York to Michigan in September. And so we're a lot closer to his family, which is like family to me, and not too far from my family as well. So I feel like that's been, you know, while at times during the pandemic, we couldn't see family, it also allowed us to slow down and do a lot more Zooms, a lot more FaceTimes, a lot more uh, visits when it was safe. Um, and that's been, you know, a, a refocus for us. And I wanted that to continue in 2021. Just real quick, explain to those listening what Synergy Dryland actually yeah. does. Yeah. So Synergy Dryland is essentially... Um, Dry, I feel like swimming dryland is such a swimming term, but it is for swimmers. So yeah. uh, dry land, whether that be you know core movement prep, soft tissue work, resistance training, um, power work uh, with teams. So we'll work with a team as a whole. You know, customize their microcycles. Um, you know, their prep time for a meet, their sleep schedules, like literally everything that's outside of the pool, we handle. Um, and then we work one-on-one with individuals as well um, so that, you know, we can customize it to them specifically if their team isn't in a position to, to work with us as a whole. Um, and then we actually just launched a really cool thing with an app that we have, um, which is more of subscription-based where they can get, you know, video demonstrations of my husband and I doing the workouts. They can, you know, see the day. And then I do a big live one on Saturdays, which is really fun to get everybody together. Call it Super Sprint Saturday. And we all sweat and suffer together and start our weekends, <laughs> weekends in the right way. Um, but yeah, it's been fun. It's been going for nine months now. And um, it's just been so cool to see and hear people feeling the feeling the results and feeling different and stronger and more connected in the water. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're definitely picking up steam in 2021 and, and keeping it rolling. Awesome. I, um, I will leave a link in the show notes for, for that. I'll also leave a link in the show notes for Blueprint um, where people can find and buy and purchase that. Uh, where's the best place for people to reach out to you if they, if they want to get a hold of you? 
Yeah, I would say two places. I'm super into my Instagram, always checking DMs and messages. So it's just KT Hoff seven, seven because lane seven was when I made my Olympic team in the Florida I am in 2004. Oh, that's what it's for. <laughs> right. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then, um, on the synergy dryland, www.synergydryland.com, you could enter, um, you know, uh, an inquiry and we get, I'll get back to you within 30 minutes. Cool. And I think you're also on TikTok as well, where you're, you're really relentlessly going at your husband and each of yours quirks. I'm enjoying that at the moment. (laughs) Yes, I am on TikTok as well. I have 80 followers, but I'm, I'm building up. I always post on my Instagram because I feel like more people are on Instagram, at least people I know. So I feel like it's just a battle between you and your husband at the moment. That's for sure. It is. And I'm up next. So I got (laughs) something on my (laughs) Awesome. Katie, th- thank you so much for your time. I've, I've loved this, this, the insight and the vulnerability, the, the, the chat about there's definitely so much that athletes or just the everyday person can take from this conversation. So I appreciate your time. appreciate the way you've gone about just talking about this stuff. I know it's not easy. Um, so thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Like the reason I'm so open and vulnerable is because you, and because you've made it so comfortable. So thank you for being such a great host. Thank you so much.